But we're going to take a look at Jesus today, church, okay? All right. So all month long, we've been in our series called By Faith, where each week what we've done is look at the life of an Old Testament figure to help us understand what it means to truly have faith in God. In week one, we talked about Noah, who believed that God really was God and that he'd be faithful to do everything he said. And his faith resulted in obedience when it looked crazy to everyone around him. And then in week two, we talked about Abraham, who demonstrated his faith in God by trusting his promises and being obedient to what he called him to. And in week three, we looked at Moses, who had doubts. And though his faith wavered at times, he persevered. And today, we're going to be diving into the life of Joseph and see what his faith in God looked like. So are we ready? Okay, let's pray. Lord, again, we are here for you. We ask humbly that you'd speak to us through your words, through your word that you have written down and preserved through ages, that people have taken look at and have been changed for all eternity. And so today, all we ask is that you would bless this time, spend time with us, and illuminate our hearts to the truth of what you'd have to say. Would you change us? And again, ways that we could never imagine. All for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's first take a look at the passage in Hebrews 11 that we've been reading all series long and see what it has to say about Joseph. So this is chapter 11, verse 22. It says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. That sounds a little bit crazy, right? So Joseph showed his true faith by telling some people what to do with his dead bones. And so how in the world does this relate to us? And what does this have to say about the faith we're called to walk with Christ with? I mean, we've been discussing Noah, who built an ark as God told him to and warned him of this coming flood that would destroy all of mankind. And then there's Abraham, who set out on a journey of 400 plus miles to a place that he'd never been, leaving everything behind because God simply told him to go. And then you got Moses who went to Pharaoh to let all the one million plus Israelites go who had been in slavery for 400 years when he had a speech impairment. And he trusted God to open up the Red Sea so he and the Israelites could cross it. And that says nothing of the journey that he led the Israelites through on their way to the promised land. His life was nuts and it was filled with faith. But here we have Joseph who told some people to do something with his bones So what can we learn here? Well, I think without the proper context, which was really well uh, put right before I got up here, it's pretty impossible to understand the magnitude of this particular verse. And so, see, Joseph's life was truly one marked by having the confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do all he said he will do. So here's a question for you, church. Has anyone ever felt like you're just on this life of just one big roller coaster? You ever felt like there's just so many ups and downs? I mean, you can be honest. I know I sure have. It seems like it's a journey filled with just so many highs and lows. At times you feel the joy of being on top of the mountain and everything is beautiful all around. But then there's times where you walk through the loneliness and the drought of the valley. There's joy and there's pain. There's hope and there's hurting. There's peace and there's chaos. I know I've been there. 
If you've experienced that in your life, be encouraged. That's the case for Joseph as well. And so I want you to hear a little bit about his story. When he was 17 years old, God gave this man dreams of him ascending into royalty over his own family. It's pretty cool, right? To hear from God in that way. Yeah, that's the high. But when he shared it with his family, his father rebuked him. And his brothers hated him for the thought that they would ever have to bow down to him. They tossed him into a pit and then sold him into slavery. That's the low. And then as a servant, he was blessed by God in his master's house. Potiphar put him in charge over everything in the house. That's the high. But when Potiphar was away one day, his wife tried to seduce Joseph. And when he refused, she accused him of being the one in the wrong, and he was thrown into prison. That's the low. Then God was with him in prison, and the prison warden put him in charge of all the prisoners, and eventually the king's cupbearer and baker were thrown into prison with him. They had dreams, and Joseph interpreted them and had hoped that they would tell Pharaoh of him so he could get out of prison. That's the high. The cupbearer forgot to tell Pharaoh about Joseph for two years. That's the low. Thirteen years after Joseph was originally sold into slavery, Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret. And the cupbearer finally remembered Joseph. And so Pharaoh called for Joseph to have him come out of prison and interpret this dream. And he put him in charge as second in command over all of Egypt. That's the high. But then famine struck all of Egypt. His brothers came to Egypt looking for food. And as they were talking in another language about what they had done to Joseph all those years earlier, Joseph heard it all and was overcome with pain from the past. That's the low. Joseph was then reunited with his father and his family. That's the high. But then his father Jacob died. That's the low. Then he's able to comfort his brothers and provide for them. He saw the dreams God gave him at the age of 17 come true. The very dreams that his brothers hated him and sold him for. The same ones that his father rebuked him for. And then he said to his brothers as they worried about how Joseph would handle them in Genesis 50, 19, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. He got to live to see his grandchildren born. And then Joseph, as he neared death, said in verse 24, I'm about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised, on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must carry my bones up from this place. That statement is such a powerful display of faith and trust in God. So you have to understand, Joseph's life was marked by this rhythm of suffering and blessing. But most importantly, his life was marked by a very real trust in God. And that he who made a promise would be faithful to deliver on that promise, no matter how it played out. So that leads me to point number one. Faith requires patient trust. Faith requires patient trust. See, it would have made all the sense in the world if Joseph would have just decided, I'm not going to go through with trusting God when he told his family about the dreams and they responded the way that they did, but 
he trusted God. His brothers hated him already, and this just made it worse. His own father, who was no slouch, by the way, to to seeing God work and move, rebuked him for believing that God would make him ruler. But Joseph trusted God. The path that he took to get to what God had promised looked nothing like what I'm sure Joseph would have chosen. But as we know, the story progresses to its climax with Joseph as the agricultural leader in Egypt, providing for his father and brothers, just as God promised him it would. So the question is this, church. How do we as Christians patiently trust God as we walk through this life with all of its twists and turns? Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. I think many times when we think of patience, what comes to mind is simply waiting, right? And it's the absolute worst. Like we think about being in line, just waiting for our turn to do whatever it is we're there to do. It's kind of like being in line at the DMV, right? You're waiting for two hours just to get your license renewed, just to find out you brought the wrong proof of address. Like it's literally the worst And nothing against the people that work there. Like, I don't know how you put up with us, to be very honest with you. Or maybe it's like being stuck in a traffic jam. You've got nothing to do but just simply wait and put your foot on the brake. And just waiting for a chance to move forward just a little bit. I mean, in church, we even say, don't pray for patience. Because God will give you opportunities to learn it. Right? But here's the thing. When I read this verse... I see such a different sentiment being described here. It says rejoice in hope. Well, church, what is our hope? It's that no matter what we face, we can be sure of this, that Paul said in Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Listen, church. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have the hope of glory. And what a hope that is. We know that for those of us that are in Christ, though we don't deserve it at all, we're headed one day to where the streets are paved with gold, where the rivers of our tears will be no more, where the pains and sufferings of this life will be swallowed up forever in the light of the glory of his face, in the land that he has promised where we'll dwell forever and ever and ever in the presence of God. That's the hope of glory, church, and what a hope that truly is. So when I think about being patient, while this illustration doesn't quite do it justice, I think it's a little more like waiting in line at Cedar Point for your favorite roller coaster ride. Any ever been to Cedar Point? I mean, it's insane, all right? But this experience is different. It's like hours at a time, just waiting, 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 trying your best not to pee your pants because you're so excited about what's happening. You've got a healthy respect for where you're headed, right? But you're waiting with anticipation for what's ultimately coming, right? You're talking with your friends that are on the journey with you. You're taking steps in the waiting. You're sharing with them how pumped you are to get there, rejoicing in what's ahead. And in some way, it is as we journey through life, patiently trusting God, rejoicing in what he has done, 
eagerly looking toward the realization of heaven, constantly talking to Jesus along the way as we ask him to give us the patience and trust we need to accomplish all that he's called us to. So point number two, faith enjoys God's presence. Man, that's good news. Faith enjoys God's presence. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt the sting of loneliness as you walk through those seasons of suffering in life? Or maybe the loneliness you felt was the suffering you experienced. Well, in Genesis 39, we see two sentences that show the faithfulness of God, even in the midst of trying times. Those two verses are so crucial to the Joseph story because, to be honest with you, if they weren't there, I'm not so sure we'd have a Joseph story. And if we did, it sure wouldn't look like the one we read about today. Genesis 39.2 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39.21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Anybody ever seen the movie Moana? Okay, just three of us. All right. Well, I can tell you it's an awesome movie. When it first came out, it's all we watched. That's all Carter wanted on. So my whole house the whole time was, what can I say except you're welcome? And that was me all day. I was just singing it all day. It was stuck in my head on repeat, right? Great movie. But there's this, this spot in the movie that's actually quite beautiful. And so Moana's just leaving everything behind. She's preparing to go out on this crazy journey. It's nighttime. She's saying goodbye to her family. She's heading out on this journey that she's not so sure what's ahead she gets onto this boat made of some sticks. She gets in the ocean, which is a beast in and of itself, right? And she's singing, and she's heading towards somewhere. She just doesn't know exactly where she'll be taken. And in that moment, this stingray lights up under, the, under her in the ocean, right? And it comes up underneath her boat and flies through this wave, and it gives her a comfort that I'm sure was just so peaceful, Right? And I'm not saying that there's like magic stingrays that are going to comfort us through life, right? But there's something to learn about this moment, okay? And this is what I want you to let sink in. No matter what you're walking through right now, God is with you. No matter what you are walking through, God is with you. And no matter what you'll walk through in the future, God will be with you. Because he's a faithful God. If you're on one of those high mountaintops where the air smells sweeter, where you're just purely overwhelmed by the beauty you see around you, God is with you. If you're in one of those valleys, if you're walking through the struggle, waiting for the climb to start again, God is with you. And so I want you to remember this. Joseph had God with him. But I've got news, church. We have God in us. Joseph had God with him. But we have God in us. Look back to Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great are the, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. 
You and I have a benefit that Joseph didn't have. Jesus, God in human flesh, the one that all things were created through, who stepped down into our world to give himself up and take the penalty that we deserved for our sin, has accomplished redemption for us on the cross. Amen? He is risen again and is seated at the right hand of God. He's ruling over everything that is known and unknown, and he sent his spirit, the spirit of God, to live inside of us as we place our faith in him. That ought to get an amen. That's the gospel, church. That's the hope that we have. We that have come to faith in Jesus are so privileged, so infinitely blessed, so incredibly cared for by God that he would choose to live in us. The greatest blessings in our lives, as incredible as they are, pale in comparison to that one. The blessing that is Christ in us. But see, when we talk about faith, there's something that is so absolutely crucial to understand. And Pastor David covered this a few weeks ago when he preached on the story of Rahab. But I want to make sure that we keep this in front of us. So often when we think about faith, I think what we imagine is this grit that we try to possess as we walk through the challenges of this life. I know I certainly do. But that's not exactly what faith is. When our faith causes us to, call, to, to put consideration inside, when we consider our faith, it creates an imbalance that's not supposed to be there. And so point number three, faith is a gift from God. See, faith is not something that we've conjured up in and of ourselves. Joseph's faith wasn't a result of his own strength, and neither is ours. Faith comes from God. The ability for us to even believe that he exists comes from the outpouring of his love for us. As he illuminated our hearts and minds to see that he's real. Ephesians 2 says it like this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is by God's grace that we are saved. It's not by our works it's not by our attempts to look godly in front of God and others. It's not in external religiosity. None of that. See, God in his grace offers a gift to all who would come, which is the faith to believe that he is who he says he is and that he will do all that he's promised he will do. And upon our receipt of that gift and response to the grace of God, we're granted granted the unfathomable offer of salvation. The message of salvation, though, is not just for those that don't know Jesus, church. The message of salvation, I guess the message, is for Christians. 
We don't graduate from the gospel, church. We don't come to Jesus and get the gift and then move on to bigger and better truths of God. There is nothing better than the gospel. There is no truth you can discover that will grant you the total freedom that the news of Jesus taking on our sin, stepping in our place, having himself willfully nailed to the cross, subjecting himself to the punishment we deserved, dying once for all, rising again from the grave and conquering the power of death and hell forever, and then saying to all who would come, the table has been prepared, come and eat. Nothing will give you the freedom that that message will. That's grace. And then in his love for us, he gives us the faith to believe that it's true and find new life, true life in him. So here's an encouragement for us all here today. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're walking through, don't look inward at your faith, church. Fight that urge. Look to Jesus. It's not the size of our faith that's most important. So you may be here this morning and you're saying, Man, I've listened every single week and we talked about these incredible characters in Scripture that exhibited this massive faith in God and I just don't think I can get that. Well, be encouraged. It's not about the size of your faith. Charles Spurgeon said, A trembling hand may receive a golden gift. The Lord's salvation can come to us though we have only faith as a grain of a mustard seed. The power lies in the grace of God and not in our faith. Great messages can be sent along slender wires. And the peace-giving witness of the Holy Spirit can reach the heart by means of a thread-like faith which seems almost unable to sustain its own weight. Think more of him to whom you look than the look itself. I'll say that one one more time. Think more of him to who you look than of the look itself. Joseph's strength throughout his life didn't come from within. It came from looking to God. And the same is true for us today here, church. Our, our faith, our strength does not come from within. It comes from looking to Jesus. There is no other place. And so back to our original question this morning. Why did Joseph give directions concerning his bones when he died? Well, Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25 tells us why. It says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. He gave direction concerning his bones because through his faith he trusted that God's people would make it to the promised land. And though he wouldn't be there to see it in the flesh, he believed and wanted to be a part of it. He gave him these instructions long before Moses ever even heard from God in the burning bush, which shows you the level of faith that he truly had. That confidence came from looking to the Lord and his faithfulness. And ours comes from looking to Jesus. So here's your opportunity to see him in all his glory now. I've covered the gospel story two or three times already so far this morning. 
I need you to know the gospel is just, it's not just for those that haven't come to Christ. The gospel is for you that know Jesus already. And so I wanna talk to you, church, for those of you that have already placed your faith in Jesus first. So often we come to Jesus and we think that that's it. Like that's the journey. That somehow just praying this prayer and putting your faith in Christ is like, that's the climax. And everything else from there is just, we're hoping for the best. The gospel is for you today. To know that you stand forgiven before a holy and perfect God who demands justice of you, who demands perfection from you, but looks on you in absolute love as he sees his son, his daughter, washed anew by the blood of Jesus. You won't find strength in anywhere else but the gospel. Maybe you've been saved, but you still carry the weight of your sin. Maybe you still feel the guilt of what you've walked through in life. Maybe you, you carry the shame that you can't shake. I need you to know the blood of Jesus is enough for that. Don't look inside. Look to Jesus. Don't look to your attempts to try to grin and bear it. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross. That's the hope. But for those of us here this morning that don't know Jesus, I am pleading with you. Stop waiting. Jesus is it. His blood is enough to cover every sin. His peace is enough to carry you through the storms of this life. You will never rest like you rest in Jesus. So if you feel a tugging on your heart right now, don't run. That's Jesus. He wants your heart. He wants you to say, I, I don't understand it all quite yet. But you're who I want. So I want you to bow your heads for a moment. If that's you, just cry out to God. Say, Lord, I know. I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I've broken your covenant. I know that I'm deserving of punishment, but I've heard about the grace that you offer. I acknowledge that I've, stand, I've stood in opposition of you, but today's the day I want to come home. And I humbly ask that you would pour your grace out on me as I stand before you, receiving the gift that only you could give. Would you give me the faith to believe in you and trust in you no matter where you take me. 
Would you allow me to experience the peace that only you bring? And allow me to soak up your presence as I now get to call you Father. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, you've made the single greatest decision of your life. You now have the hope of glory. You now have Christ in you. And there is just nothing better. And for those of us that already know him, spend a moment talking to him. Let him know that he's all you desire. Ask him to give you a fresh understanding of the gospel a fresh understanding of the cross. And he'll be faithful to do that. Take a moment to talk with Jesus.